Good evening. Uh, it's a blessing to be here. Um, I always kind of get nervous about speaking on Sunday nights for a few reasons. Uh, the main one is I'm always worried that the person who's speaking in the morning is going to steal my lesson. And all my work will be for naught, and I'll just be a rehash. But that's not exactly what happened. Uh, we heard an excellent lesson this morning. Uh, one that's going to overlap with a lot of the principles we're going to talk about tonight. And really, what I want to talk about is our view of God. You know, as a Christian, we could say that that's extremely important. We need to have a proper understanding of who God is. We need to know who He is, what He's done for us, what He expects of us. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. So what I want to talk about is our view of the Father. And where we're going to see a lot of overlap is, you know, the biggest lesson I took from this morning is to trust God. Trust Him no matter what circumstance you're in. Trust Him even when it's hard. You know, give Him your whole self and not to rely on yourself. But when we talk about trust, that's not always the easiest thing to give. And so if I were to ask you, what would it take for you to trust? If I walked into a building, you didn't know me, I didn't know you, would you trust me? Probably not. It'd be very unlikely that you would trust me. Not that you wouldn't be willing to establish trust and start building that, but to actually have that implicit trust, you're not going to have. And so, what would be enough for you? Would it be kind actions? If I did something nice for you, would that be enough? If I said something nice, if I complimented you, would that be enough? If I showed a genuine, genuine interest in your life, would that be enough? No. Because really what it takes for us to have trust in someone is we have to see a pattern in someone's life. So, the more appropriate questions would be, is there follow-through in my life? Do I do what I say I'm going to? Am I honest? Do I care for you? And am I looking out for the interest of you, or am I looking out for the interest of me? And we know that trust is important in our spiritual lives. We see in Proverbs 3 and verse 5, it says to trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. I think it's important for us to know that what I just illustrated is that trust requires knowledge. It requires seeing a pattern in order for us to give that. And so if we're going to trust God, it stands to reason we have to have a knowledge of who God is. So you may ask the question, how do we get to know God? There's a simple answer, and that is to read. You can read the Bible. You can read all of Scripture. You can see who God is, what all He's done, what all He's doing what all He's going to do for us. We can read about His promises, His power, His might. Every little aspect about God's character is included in the Scriptures. But the other side of that is that we also get a glimpse into what a relationship with God is going to be like by our relationships with our fathers. And when we talk, talk about uh, fathers today, that's something that we hear a lot about. I want to look at some of these statistics you know, we hear a lot about fatherhood. I just did a recent uh, search on our podcast page, and I saw that just in this past calendar year, and this was just on titles that were easy, uh, very clear to know what the topic was. There was three lessons on the calendar year about fatherhood and fathers specifically. And then we also had other lessons that were included about roles in the home. And we saw uh, there was a lesson back in May that Uncle Mark gave about mothers. You know, so we focus a lot on the home. 
but especially we focus a lot on fathers. And the reason is because fatherhood, manhood, masculinity is not what God wants it to be out in the world. And so we combat that with the teaching. We try to make it evident what God expects for, uh, out of us and what He wants from us. And then we look at the statistics just to reinforce that we know what, uh, what's already true. About 50% of marriages end in divorce. I looked up recent statistics. It's actually been holding pretty steady. Um, you kind of have to average it out because they give you first-time marriages and second-time marriages, but 50% may be a little conservative. 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Then, on top of that, one in four children grow up without a father in the home. And that's not just talking about a biological father. It's talking about a stepfather, the biological, or an adoptive father. So in some of those cases, you may still be looking at a child who's been a part of or is a part of a broken home in some sense. And that's bad enough, but then as I get older, I come to understand that just because the father is there, that doesn't mean they had a great childhood. What about the experience of the other three? You know, we hear of extreme examples of abuse, of neglect, but then we hear of the more common things of a father is there, but he's not involved. He's not really present. You know, you don't really ever hear him say, I love you. You don't really hear uh, words of affirmation. He's never really that encouraging. He's just there. And what makes it so much worse is that for a lot of people, that's the best glimpse people have into what God is going to be like, into what a relationship with God can be. They focus on all the negative things they've experienced. Matthew 18, 3-4, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When we talk about what the application is here, that's partly innocence, but there's a lot that's included in the innocence of a child. Part of that is the trust of a child. A child is so willing to give you their trust. And that's partly why he commends him, because he wants you to do that with God, to trust God implicitly. And a child can do that. It's harder for us. We have experiences, we have pride, we have lots of things that block that, but a child doesn't. They're not blinded by the things that we are. But there's also some negative things that we can think of. You know, to obviously trust in God is a great thing. It will reap many great benefits in their life, but you hear the term stranger danger. Why do we say that? Why is that so emphasized in the life of a child? Because they are so willing to give trust. Somebody pulls up on the side of the road and says, hey, I'll give you a ride. They seem nice. Why not go with them? We have to enforce that not every person that seems nice or wants to do something for you is, uh, is good. You have to be wary of people because not everybody is good as you want them to be. And that's an obviously bad example. You know, there's lots of legitimate reasons not to trust a stranger. But what about when that trust is given to a father who doesn't respect it? A father who neglects his child, who abuses, that's an extreme one, but is not involved, doesn't encourage. You know, that's not good either. I do need to give you... Uh, a disclaimer, I talked with my dad about this. Uh, most of y'all know the history of my family, how, things have, how I grew up, things like that. And I just want to give that for context. This is not about garnering sympathy. It's not about showing that my weight is heavier than anybody else's here. It's to just provide context 
and maybe help you understand an underlying principle that even though you haven't lived my life and my experiences, you can still get something out of this. But over the past few years, especially out of dad has come out of rehab, I've been a part of some studies. And these studies talk about, you know, why we aren't as close with God as we need to be. What is it that we have in our lives that prevents us from serving like we need to? And, and then more recently, I've been a part of a study with a group of guys talking about masculinity, biblical masculinity, about what it means to be a father by the Bible standards, a husband, and just men in general. And something clicked with me. You know, it's something I've heard a lot in my life, but I just never really gave it the thought it needed. But in the very first series in that study, we were talking about how our child's relationship with us is the first glimpse that they have into what a relationship with God is like. And I've already mentioned that. But what hit me this time is anytime I've heard that, especially as I've become a father myself, it's easy for me to look at Jude and think I need to do what's best for her. I need to do what God says that she can grow up and we can have a good relationship and she can understand what a good relationship with God is going to be. And that, that was easy. But what was hard is I never applied that back on myself. And the facts that hit me because the question I've been trying to answer is, why don't I trust God myself? Why do I make it so hard? You know, this isn't an excuse, but this is something I've discovered. The earthly experience I've had has tainted my view. You know, I'm part of that 25% statistic of, the, of a child not growing up with a father in the home. And that's been restored to us now by the grace of God and uh, what he's been able to do through my dad, but... I'm still a part of that. I didn't learn the things that most people with a complete home would have had. And positive or negative, that experience is going to matter. It's going to matter for me, and it's going to matter for you. <clears throat> you know, some of the, sometimes the positive or the negative is super easy to see, especially in the negative circumstances. You could have looked at me, my family on the pew, and not really known us, but you would have seen that Dad was gone for a lot of it. I was a... We were a family that was, uh, my parents divorced when I was seven, and for 16 years they were separated. You would have seen that. But sometimes, like we talked about that three and four statistic, not every child's pain or negative experience is something you can visualize and see. It's something they can experience for themselves, but it's just as real, and it's just sometimes as painful. But regardless of the experience you had, you may have looked back at your childhood and you may look back on it now and say, I had a great childhood. I had a great father. He loved me. He did everything he could for me. I never doubted how he felt. And he taught me about God's word. He put me on the right path. And that's great. That's going to be a positive influence for you that can make a positive impact. But we have to be aware that there are negative influences and negative uh, experiences that can do just the opposite and cause people to not trust in God to not look for him or look to him for everything that they have and every need that they have in their life. And so I hope that through this study, regardless of experience, you'll understand what it means to uh, be a good father by the biblical standards, but that also God is the perfect father. You know, I'm going to go through some standards that the Bible sets forth of fathers, and what God wants us to be. But 
I'm also going to show you that God does those things for us, and he does them oftentimes even better than an earthly father could. I do also want to point out this is not all-inclusive. I don't have time to hit every aspect of fatherhood and every duty and every responsibility, but I believe that what we're going to cover will be sufficient for the purpose. So I believe that good father's duties can be broken down into several broad categories. A few that I've chosen is that a good father will lead. But a good father leads in multiple ways. It's not as simple as just saying he's a leader. A good father will also encourage his children, and he does that through various ways. And a good father will also provide for his children. So when we talk about a good father's leadership, we've got to start with teaching. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Then in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, And these words which I command you shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit up in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your head. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Children need teaching. When a child is born, it acts purely out of reflex. And over time, they start to learn how to talk, how to walk, um, how to communicate better, and just things that are essential to everyday life. But then that knowledge grows deeper. They're sponges. They soak everything in. And we start teaching God's Word at an early age. Instilling those principles as soon as we can so that they know what God wants from us. But there's also the aspect that Deuteronomy talks about that we're not just setting aside a structured time, that that's the only time we talk about God. We incorporate God and His teachings in every facet of our life. When we wake up, we're talking about God and we're talking about Scripture. We're teaching. When they go to bed, we're doing the same thing. When we're out and about, when we're in the house, it doesn't matter. We set forth a pattern of just establishing God and putting Him in everything in our lives so that our child can see that. And you know, that kind of pattern, you know, if it was just structured, that would be great benefit, but the kind of pattern of where you incorporate it into every aspect of your life is the kind that's going to be the most encouraging to a child. They're going to see that. They're going to want that for themselves because they've, been, uh, they've seen the benefits for their family. They've seen the benefits for themselves, and they want to carry that on. A good father will also discipline his children. Proverbs 13, verse 24, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Just as child need basic instruction, a child needs to be corrected. They don't know everything. They think they do sometimes, especially as they get older, but they need to learn that, uh, what's right and what's wrong. And when they do wrong, they need to understand that. And sometimes that comes with consequences. We're trying to prevent them from learning things the hard way, and we're trying to prevent heartache and grief and pain later on in life if we don't correct it now. If you ask the world, they would disagree with this. I heard something really silly one time that you need to let the baby tell you when they need their diaper changed or something like that. And obviously they're crying, so in my mind that would be enough, but you need to wait for them to tell you these simple things that we know that they need. A child doesn't know what's best for themselves. And they have to be taught that. They have to be corrected when they don't follow that. And it's never pleasant. It's not pleasant for the, for the parent that disciplines. It's not pleasant for the child. But in general, I can look back on my life, and while I needed much more of it probably, I'm thankful for the discipline I did receive. I look back at it as a benefit. 
It's not always about agreeing with everything. We'll talk a little bit uh, about that later. But I can see that there was a greater good that was accomplished by me being disciplined. A good father will also lead by example. I want to consider Deuteronomy 6 again. I want to focus in and reread 7 through 9. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your own house, you walk, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. An important, important aspect of this passage is that we need to make it evident in our daily life, you know, that we're practicing what we, we preach. You know, I can tell, you can tell a kid to not do something, that may be good, but to see them uh, themselves, that you don't do the things that you tell them not to do, or that you do do the things that you tell them to do. That's such a, uh, it's much more encouraging to see that uh, from a child's perspective if the father is consistent in his messaging. It's not just about enforcing a law, but following that same law and standard as well. And then we have the principle in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 2 through 3. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. You know, this isn't directly towards fathers, it's to Christians in general, but we have the expectation that we're going to live out the things that we, we learn and that we teach and that we read in God's Word. That's an expected duty of every Christian, and especially in fatherhoods. We have to let our kids see that practiced out in our own life. A good father will also lead with love and with compassion. Psalms 103.13, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Now, I want to point out something about this passage. It's expected that the father's going to have compassion for his children. It's said as a relatable analogy to the audience that as a father would do this, so it's expected for a father to have compassion, to pity his children. You know, we think about compassion. I don't believe compassion can be achieved without love. So if you don't love your children, how can you have the compassion in the first place? But more importantly, without love, even if you're doing all the things, broad stroke purposes, I believe there's a lot you can't do if you don't love your children, but broad strokes purposes, you're teaching your children. You're disciplining them. You're doing all the main duties of a parent. But if you don't have love, what does the child see? Will the child see an encouraging presence or will he see someone that mocks him? anytime he messes up or he doesn't do good enough? Does he see someone that laughs at his failures? Someone that yells or nitpicks anytime he doesn't do as good as the father wants him to? Is there ever any positive reinforcement? Is he angry? Is he bitter? Is he disappointed? We have to evaluate those things. If we don't have love and compassion for our children, what's going to motivate us to want to help them? You know, when we see our children hurt, we want to step in. We want to take away that hurt. We want to make it better, but we want to help them learn and grow and mature. And that can't be done without love and compassion from the Father. And a good father leads by being faithful and by being relentless. I had to put relentless in there because I feel like that 
helps illustrate what I mean a little bit better. But let's consider what we've read. Deuteronomy 6 and the passage in Proverbs, I forgot to put up there, talk about teaching your children. But Deuteronomy expounds and says it's not about just teaching and saying these things, it's about living them out. And then 2 Corinthians 3 reinforces that. And then we see in Psalms 103 and 13, we're supposed to do this all with love and compassion. And if we have all three of those things, our job never ends for our children. We're always going to have to be teaching them. We're always going to have to strive to live out the pattern that we expect out of them. And we're always going to have to be trying, you know, doing that out of love and compassion and helping them when they struggle, encouraging them when they succeed. And then a good father also encourages, and I mentioned there were several ways that he does that. He does that one, uh, in one way by affirming his children, and that can uh, be done in multiple uh, ways, but in Proverbs 23 and verse 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. What do you do whenever you see your child do well? Do they know that you're proud of them, that you're, you're glad they did the right thing? Do they wonder how you feel about them? Is it always a constant worry that maybe I'm not good enough for my dad because I never hear him say anything? You know, to delight, as it's used in this passage, means to be glad and to rejoice. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are probably some instances where you could rejoice quietly, but to me, being glad and rejoicing are things you can see that are evident. I like to think I could see someone who's glad. I like to think that I can see someone who's rejoicing. And the child needs to see those things. And it's not about puffing the child up. I'm sure there are uh, some examples out there where parents went too far and their uh, child thought they were better than everybody else and they just never uh, got over the pride that their parents instilled in them. But it's about them knowing their worth it's about them knowing that they're doing what is pleasing to you. And you know, that's something that should carry over into our relationship with God. We should be, uh, we know when we please God. And He affirms us through all those things. We're going to expound on that a little bit later. A good father encourages by not provoking. Now if you put provoking and encouraging side by side, they're probably nearly complete opposites, so you're probably going obviously a good father encourages by not provoking. But still, Ephesians 6, verse 4, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. We can't be behaving in ways that make them resent what we're trying to teach them. If you ask what it meant to not provoke your child, I've come a lot, a, across a lot that says, don't act out of anger. Don't let the temper get the best of you. Don't act out of emotion. I think there's certainly truth in that. But I also believe that there are more than one ways to provoke a child. What if you don't live what you're preaching? What if you tell your kid, don't do this, but then you do it all the same? What if you're just in general holding that child to a higher standard than you would hold yourself? The child's going to see that, and most of the time that's something that they don't really appreciate when they're grown. They want to see that you're doing what you're telling them to. And we have to be 
careful as fathers to be as consistent as we can in every aspect of raising our children. A good father encourages by trusting his children. Psalms 127, 3-5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the ch children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. What's kind of neat about the analogy of arrow, and I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't look up into every process that's involved in making an arrow, but I do know that it's tedious. It's not something that you can just go out into the woods, pick out a random stick, paste some feathers on the back, tie a stone to the front, and expect to shoot straight and be effective. It takes time. It takes refinement. And just like with our children, we spend years with them in the home. We should be refining them all that time. Give, and as they get older and they get, become more knowledgeable, give them more responsibility. It's kind of like practice runs. You're trying to see if, if it's going to shoot as straight as you want. You encourage. You correct as you need to. But eventually, that arrow will be let go. And it's not coming back. And you just have to trust that what you gave them Equip them for what's coming. And that they are going to fly in the way that they're supposed to. That the instruction that you gave them through God's word. And that they will have the ability to follow through on those things. And then a good father is expected to provide. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You know, we have duty as fathers, to provide for the physical needs of our family to the best of our ability. To not let them want as best as we can. But that's kind of where the father is not able to provide like God can. God can provide beyond the physical. And that's something where the father is limited, no matter how hard he tries. So I want to ask you the question. As we've kind of gone through these very basic and you know, like I said, this is not inclusive. You can add a lot more to this list. You can expound in areas of the list that are included. But what has your experience been? Do you look back on your childhood and you see that your father did all these things? And if he didn't, what was lacking? And I want to reemphasize the point. If you had a good father, that's great. That's going to be a positive influence on you, going to make a positive impact. But if you had a good father... God can be even better for you. And then if you had a bad father, if you were lacking in a lot of areas, or if your father was lacking in a lot of areas, he didn't provide everything that he needed to for you. God is everything that you need in a father and more because he truly is the perfect father. And just like all those attributes, I want to show that God does all those for us. So God the Father, he leads his children. And he leads them by teaching. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now we don't hear God's voice in our ear. He's not whispering all of these teachings to us, but we're seeing it in the Word. Every time we open it up. Everything that's included in there is for our benefit and it's everything that God felt necessary for us to know as we walk this life. And even when our fathers are doing the teaching, it's all from the wisdom of God if we're doing it right. God the Father leads by disciplining His children. 
Hebrews 12, 4 through 11, you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Just as God instructs us as fathers to discipline the children, He does the same through us, and that shows up in various uh, ways in our life. But what does it say is for the, the benefit? What do we get out of it? It's so that we can partake in His holiness. You know, when we become Christians, we're His. We're His beloved children as long as we choose to serve Him and as long as we are faithful to Him. And we can walk away, but we can always return. We're always His as long as we devote ourselves to Him. And that life is never guaranteed to be easy. In fact, we're guaranteed trials and struggles, but that we can be stronger for Him. God is constantly trying to train us. He's constantly trying to better us through the experiences of this life. And what's even better is He does all this because He, more than anyone, knows exactly what we're capable of. You know, he knows my full potential better than I do. And I also love that this draws the parallel between our fathers did what seemed best to them. But God's discipline works for a greater reward, for a greater purpose, and it's never flawed. You, know, you may look back on and disagree in some of the, the spankings that you got or some of the other times that you were punished, but God disciplines us for the better, and it's always just. God, God the Father also leads by example. This was an example that, that popped up in my head almost the second I thought of it. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 2. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. You know, we've talked about how a good father lives out what he teaches and that we also know that God does the same. We can easily look at this and if we didn't know the context, we'd think this was unreasonable. If we thought it was some, any other person asking for you to sacrifice your child, that would seem crazy and just not fair. And it wouldn't be. But this is God. And while Abraham didn't see it at the time, we know how this story plays out. Abraham was about to kill his son and he stopped. But God went through the same thing and put his son through that. But whenever it was time for Jesus to be hit, to be struck, to be scourged, he allowed that to go through. And he allowed him ultimately to be sacrificed for us. And if that, shows, if that doesn't show that God has love and compassion, I don't know what else does. But in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, we read this a lot and 
for good reason. This sacrifice, the plan that God put in place and executed, is for is the reason that we have hope. It's the reason that we have hope for heaven to be to live with our Father. And nothing else can provide that for us. I also think that this passage illustrates something we need to understand very clearly that God's love and compassion is far greater than we can even comprehend. I want you to think about the children of Israel. And actually, let's go, to, let's go to the very beginning. Imagine you're God, that you've created this, this being, created this man, and eventually you create this woman, but you put them in a perfect place. You give them dominion over everything. You have everything the way that you want it. You give them a very simple set of rules. But even when you first created and formed that person, you knew they weren't going to listen to you. You had to have a backup plan, so to speak, although that was his main plan, to, for whenever they did disobey. And you watch them play out this pattern over and over again. They keep straying away from you. They keep not listening to you. And you keep trying to show them through various methods, if you will just listen to me, life will be so much better. And over and over again, the same pattern plays out. They come back for a little bit. They never fully give themselves to you. And then it's all over again. They've betrayed your trust. They've disrespected you. They've just disobeyed you. If you were in God's shoes, would you continue on with that plan? Or would you just call it quits? Say, I'm done. I can't watch them continue to do this. I'm, I'm tired of them not listening to me. I think if you put a human, any human in that place, and you gave them enough time, they would give up. But God did not. He patiently watched. He patiently corrected. He patiently allowed them to be taken in slavery and uh, to be disciplined, so to speak. And patiently allowed all of that to play out so that he could fulfill his greater purpose. And God did that because he loves us. He has compassion for his children. And I think we all understand that he has that for us and we don't deserve it. And now because of that compassion and because of that love, we can be washed of our sins and we can live our lives under the cleansing blood of Jesus so that we can be reconciled to him all because he did show a greater love than we could ever have. God the Father leads by being faithful and relentless with his children. Luke 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I think this is another great example of God's compassion. And this is one of those stories that the more I read it and the older I get, the more I appreciate it. And the more moving it is to me. Because I guess that comes from me grasping more, and fully, more fully every day just how unworthy I am of all the love and blessings that God gives me. And yet he still offers that. And so we have this son who's turned his back on everything the father gave him. Took what was his, left, wasted it, and he wants to come home. But when he's coming home, the father's not surprised. He's watching, he's waiting, he sees him, and he runs out to meet him. 
Just the fact that God doesn't shut the door on us when we walk away is amazing. But not only that, He's waiting for us to return when we do walk away. Just like a father should do with his, but God does it even more so. He knows we're going to struggle. He expects us to struggle. And sometimes that struggle leads us to walk away, to turn our backs for a period, but he's always ready and willing for a child to return home. God the Father encourages by affirming his children. Matthew three sixteen through 17 When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him and saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Even Jesus, the person that did humanity perfect, you know, he did everything right. When he struggled, he handled it properly. He was always praying to God. But even God felt, felt it necessary. Now, it did serve a double purpose. It was to, for those who were witnessing. But he deemed it necessary to affirm his son in that moment, to show that he was pleased. And even better than that, it's not just for Jesus that he's affirmed. He's affirmed his people throughout the years, throughout the ages, throughout the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness I have drawn you. Isaiah 43, verse 1, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he, formed you, he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You were mine. Verse 4, Since you are precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. You know, this isn't something, affirmation from the Father is not something that's reserved only for the best. He didn't reserve that only for the one person that did it perfectly. He's given it to flawed humans like you and me. You never had to wonder who God's people were because He told them. He affirmed them. He let them know they were His. And people saw it. They were scared. They recognized that they were God's people. You never, they never had to wonder where they stood. He was very clear and plain with His affection for His people. And He does the same for us. You know, we also look forward to hearing affirmation from Him ourselves. The end of the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 23, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you a ruler over many things and earn to the joy of your Lord. You know, we say this a lot in our prayers at the end. We long for the day that we get to hear the Father say to us, well done. And we have every reason to believe that he's going to do that because he set forth a reliable pattern over the years. He's always affirmed his children, always showed that he's loved them. He continues to do that, and we see that through His Word, and we have a guarantee that He's going to do that for us on the Judgment Day as well. God the Father leads by, uh, encourages by not provoking. We've already covered the patience of God. We've already, already talked about His consist consistency, and we can, if you just need a little reminder, I'll remind you about that when I asked you to imagine you were God for a moment. And you listened to how people, the people that he created, his beloved creation that he formed and breathed life into, constantly let him down. And he constantly had to discipline them. And he's always been patient. He's never acted rashly. He's never acted uh, unjustly. It's always been with thought and deliberation. And one thing that we talked about 
is that we have to be consistent because a child can look at our lives and see if we're inconsistent. They can see that we don't practice what we preach. They can learn to resent those things over time, but that's not something you have to worry about with God. In Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is always the same. His care for you is always the same. His care for me is always the same. His instruction is always the same. His love is always the same. When we choose to walk away from God, because that's what it is, it's a choice. It's not because he acted rashly, that he acted irrationally, um, that he acted unjustly. It's because, for whatever reason, we decided that we didn't care to please him any longer. We didn't care to fulfill our purpose in this life and glorifying him and to honor him. And of course, if you did choose to walk away from God, or if that's something that, a place that you're at right now, he welcomes you back. He's waiting for you to return. God the Father always also encourages by trusting his children. Psalms 8, 5 through 8, for you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. We see that he's talking about God giving us dominion over his creation. He's allowed us to be stewards of everything that he created here. And that's not a small responsibility. We also have in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. These are just a couple of examples. But we've been entrusted with great responsibility from God to be stewards of everything he's put down here, but to also share the gospel message with everyone. To be lights, to be examples, to bring others to the fold. And these are no small tasks. But God has entrusted us to carry out a very important mission. And we have to understand the magnitude of that. You know, we see that He leads us, He gives us instruction in our lives. He gives us the affirmation we need. And ultimately, He shows His faith in us by giving us this responsibility. And also, the Father, God the Father provides. And He provides physically. A passage we read this morning, Matthew 6, 31-32. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. You know, an earthly father can only provide the physical. Now he can share God's wisdom with you. He can open up the book and share that all with you. But all the blessings and knowledge and wisdom gained from that is because of God. He just put it in front of you. But God offers more because he can provide spiritual blessings for you as well. John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. You know, His words bring life and we can see that in people that uh, are converted. They understand that they have a need to be cleansed of their sins, of the mistakes that they've made, of their guilt. They want to be free of the guilt and the shame and the regret. And oftentimes all they need to do is sit and stew on some passages because the Holy Spirit will do the work if it's allowed to. That's something that only God can provide for us. You know, the Holy Spirit was given to us as a helper. 
He sent the helper for us to benefit us. And so I was going to be a little bit like Jacob and not really have an application section. This won't be very long. This is, we're about to wrap up. But I wanted to leave you with something that I thought was practical, something for you to implement in your own life so that you can put your trust in God. So in Matthew 18, 3-4, we read this earlier. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and come as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, when I look back at my life, it's easy for me to forget the good. And the reason is because I dwell on the past experiences. You know, if I allow myself, I can think about the negative things. I can think, oh, the things I missed out on. Oh, the things that could have been. And just do lots of romanticizing thinking, I guess. But it makes me forget the good that God's done. You know, I mentioned it. God has uh, worked through my dad. He's gone through rehab. He's returned to our family. Our earthly family's been restored, but even better than that, he's been restored into the family of God. And God did that. You know, I can think of times when if I, allow, if I don't allow the negative thinking to cloud, cloud my mind, I can see the times that God provided and he delivered for me when I trusted in Him. And even better than that, I can see that times that where my trust wasn't where it needed to be, it wasn't as strong as it needed to be, and God still did great things. But if we dwell on the negative and we dwell on all the things that we didn't have, it, it's easy to get that all wrapped up because that's associated with pride. We've allowed our pride to put a barrier up between our trust and our love and our care for God and our devotion to Him. And we can't allow that to be the case. And so I encourage you to do what this passage says and to be like a child and to trust Him. And it's not going to be easy necessarily. It's not going to be comfortable. Um, it's a learning experience because that trust is learned. But I encourage you to put your trust in Him, your whole trust, and watch Him deliver for you. Let Him do what He says He's going to do. You can hold back and you can keep that from him and he can still deliver, but put your faith and your trust in that, that he will, and watch him do it. And I want to leave you with some uh, encouragement that we have in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. I like that it says, remember the one... uh, that He is the one who goes with you. That means we have to know who that one is. And when we read about God, we understand He's always faithful. He's always just. He's always been with His people. And we understand that that's the one who's gone with us. We have to know that we're in good hands. We have to know that we're under the care, the protection, and the love of our perfect Father. And we have to remember that He promises to always be with His children. So if you can look back, and maybe you don't even have to look back. Maybe you can look at your life now, you see that you don't trust God like you need to. And it may be for reasons like this. It may be because you've had bad experiences in the past that have kept you from giving that your whole trust and your whole self to God. And maybe it's for another reason. 
But if you have a struggle with that and it's something you would like to come out of the darkness from, you want to put your trust and faith in God and you need help, we can help you with that. We can pray for you. We can encourage you. We can be a resource for you. And if you need that kind of help, we want to help you. But also, if you need to be baptized, you've been taught, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you want to be washed of your sins and follow Him, we can help you with that too. If there's anything that the church can do for you and assist you with and strengthen you with, please come forward as we stand and sing.